Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right into the week, and the battle for the Keystone State is upon us, and the Eagles have made a trade as the Eagle Line of Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 419. And at the top of today's show, we've got a very special chalk talk where I chat with my friend Brandon Thorne. And why is Brandon here this week? Well, again, the Eagles have made a trade. Wednesday evening, they moved a fourth-round pick in the 2023 draft for pass rusher Robert Quinn. Now, this move happened after I recorded like 99% of this podcast. But I was able to get Brandon on to talk about Quinn, what he's shown this season over the course of his career as well, and how he fits in with this Eagles defensive line and with this scheme. Like I said, the rest of the show won't hit on Robert Quinn, but I wanted to make sure that we had Brandon on just to get his thoughts on the acquisition. After that, my buddy Chris McPherson is here to discuss three pivotal topics in three and out surrounding this Eagles team going into the matchup against the Steelers. What's on C-Mac's mind coming out of the bye week? He will enlighten us right at the top of the show. After that, we've got a second version of Chalk Talk where Ben Fennell and I zero in on this matchup for the, between the Eagles and the Steelers from an X's and O's standpoint, some matchups to watch, interesting numbers, and of course, our, the thought process behind our Eagles game plan show this week to get you ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers coming to town. Then to close out the show in faux focus, I chat with somebody who has been on the show before. He's a former NFL scout. He knows the Steelers well. That's Matt Williamson. M-Dub joins the show to go through this game from a Steel City point of view to get you ready for Sunday afternoon. Before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. Also, be sure to check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, there was a, a stat, I want to say it was last week, going into the bye week from Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders, who said, you know, with all their, their models that they've run, uh, those the projecting forward through the rest of the NFL season, one out of every 100 models had the Eagles both winning the Super Bowl and getting the number one pick for, from the New Orleans Saints. So uh, obviously, we're, everybody's excited about this Eagles season, but that excitement will not stop getting into the spring because right now, that pick from the New Orleans Saints that the Eagles acquired this past spring looks to be a very, very high pick. So uh, make sure you know who are the top prospects in the NFL draft. Who do you need to know? Who's a potential top five player that could fit here with the Eagles? You go check it out on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We are talking about it on a weekly basis. We are looking at mock drafts every single week. We do so once again here this week on the show. So be sure to check out the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Also, this week over on Eagles Game Plan, I caught up with Eagles cornerback James Bradbury to go through some tape, just break down some of the film, some of his biggest plays from the season. It's a segment we call Tape Study. I saved a chunk of it right here for you. Well, please be joined this week by Eagles cornerback James Bradbury. And James, at what point is just ball skills just like a, a natural trait or you feel like that's something that has improved for you throughout the course of your career? I think I've always had ball skills. Yep. Um, it's just about being confident to go attack the ball when it's in the air. You know, in the past, I've uh, dropped some interceptions probably because I wasn't really confident in attacking the ball. Mm. Uh, but when I saw the ball, my eyes got big, and I just knew I had to catch it. You know, it was an open one for me. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a hard one to me because the, the receiver didn't interfere with it. 
Um, so he actually made it easier for me to bring it in. At what point did you uh, switch from being a receiver to DB and you know, like, all right, I, my future is uh, on defense? I played receiver a little bit in high school. Yep. Um, and I actually had an offer coming out of high school uh, to be a receiver, but I mainly played defense. And I always knew my size was more of an anomaly for corners than it was for receivers. I remember you, you coming out of Samford, uh, going to the senior bowl and some of the strides you made that week. Do you reflect on just the areas that you've improved in your game just since coming from a lower level of competition? Yeah, definitely. I think over the uh, past six, seven years, I've learned a lot about football and rock concepts and just the NFL. So I think that's definitely helped me out throughout my my NFL career. Watching you over the course of your career, one thing I always come back to is like route instincts. When you hear instincts for a corner, like what, what does that mean to you when you hear instincts? First of all, I say they football IQ. IQ is pretty hard because most of the time you're making plays um, – not necessarily reacting, but you're making plays because you kind of anticipate a play is going to happen. And they usually have a knack for the ball. Obviously understanding, like, hey, down-distance situation, what mm-hmm. teams like to do, but then also just reading the receiver and body language in the route. How often uh, do you kind of jump between those two facets of being able to read a route? Yeah, bo- uh, both. I mean, I, first of all, when I get on the field, I get the, the down-to-distance. The then I look at the formation once the, the uh, offense lines up. And then I kind of align with, with the players are. You know, 17 is a key player in their offense. Um, 82 is a key player in the offense, so I kind of see where they line up, um, and then I go from there. I mean, playing along, alongside a guy like Slay on the field, you know, he, he makes it uh, pretty easy. But he's also really, really fast, and he's a really smart player. So he's able to match up against guys like Justin Jefferson, uh, Terry McLaurin, the faster guys in this league. And then off the field, um, pretty easy going. You know, he's a funny guy, keeps it light, always keeps a sense of humor in the, in the meeting rooms and whatnot. He makes sure, like, the day doesn't uh, become mundane and boring. I know it was a big deal for him being named captain this year. What does he bring from a leadership standpoint? Us on the outside, fans, media, we see like the lighter side. What does he bring from you know just a leadership standpoint? I think he, I mean, he knows football, you know. So during times during the game where he feel like uh, we might get lack of days on the back end, you know, he's able to bring bring us back in and tighten us up and remind us of the uh, the goal and whatnot. And of course, he goes out there and prepares and plays well on Sunday. So anytime you have a leader, you want to make sure. You perform to a certain standard, but also motivate your guys to perform up to your standard. Watching every single day this summer at training camp, the battles you had with AJ, with Devontae, with Quez, with all those guys. What was it like going up against those guys every single day? And how did you have to change your approach? Uh, It was challenging, you know, Um, and I changed my approach based off the receiver I was facing. You know, I know AJ, AJ is a big, strong physical guy. Um, And I knew Devontae, he was more of a shifty, craftier with his releases and his routes type of guy. I know Quez, he wants to attack the defense uh, deep, like with nine routes and post routes. I try to adjust my coverage and my technique based off of those things once I get to the line of scrimmage. What's it like just having that level of talent to just see every single day, like, all right, I'm going to get better today going out in the practice field? Uh, I think it takes stress uh, off of us as a defense because we know if we do mess up and we are – uh, we do allow some points on defense. We know our offense is capable of putting up way more points than the offense that we're, that we're facing. So it gives us a level of confidence to go out there and play. All right, so for that whole segment with James Bradbury, it'll all go up uh, on its own. You can look for a tape study with James Bradbury. It should go up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com at the end of this week. It's about eight and a half minutes. And again, James really gets into his thought process pre-snap and post-snap, well, his, his development as a corner in the NFL, just how he fits in with the scheme. It's a really fun conversation. Go check that out uh, wherever you get your Eagles content. Now, uh, let's get into this acquisition here. The Eagles trading for Robert Quinn. What is this pass rusher going to mean for the Eagles moving forward? Let's get into Chalk Talk now with Brandon Thorne. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, as soon as this trade went down for Robert Quinn, I thought, who better to bring on than a guy who knows uh, every offensive line and defensive lineman in the NFL, and that's Brandon Thorne. He's been on the show plenty of times before. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Excited to do this. All right, well, let's talk through Robert Quinn. And, and for fans, obviously, they've seen the production. He's been in the NFL now for over a decade. But just give us a, a scouting report. What is, what is Robert Quinn when he's at his best? Where, where does he rank in the NFL? What does he bring to an NFL defensive line? Yeah, I mean, I think his whole career, the thing he's brought more than anything is just so much juice off the edge um, and bend. You know, he, he – and the cross chop as well. You know, he's the guy who – one of the guys, I guess, who really made it popular and what it is today, which is probably the most commonly used pass rush move off the edge in the NFL. And Quinn was kind of one of the guys at the forefront of that, him and O.C. Uminoria. And yeah. Um, yeah, man, so he's 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 really a legend, you know, in the pass rushing community, I think, uh, for what he did there and kind of popular, popularizing that move. And then also just kind of the the legendary – bend that he has um i wrote an article last year a detailed article on his whole career um and i interviewed chris long for that got to talk to him a lot about robert quinn in depth and uh just some of the stories that were in there were incredible just about his bend and uh it's still evident on film today um you know you there's a couple examples floating around on there on twitter of that uh last year certainly when he had you know 1920 sacks um, you know, the, the bulk of those were winning around the corner, you know, inside nine yards. And, and that's really what makes him special. He could still do that. Um, so, and I, and the thing that, you know, makes me excited about it too, is because he's not going to have to play, you know, in a full-time role in, in Philly, um, you know, in Chicago this year, he played, I think 67, 68% of the snaps. Um, I would imagine that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a fraction of that in Philly. Um, and that's just only going to help an older guy like him stay fresh and just kind of pick his spots. And I would expect him to do really well and make a lot of impact rushes, whether they end, you know, with him getting at home at the quarterback, we'll see. But, you know, he can bend the corner, uh, you know, very quickly. And that's that presents a lot of problems for a lot of guys. And I guess that that's the big thing, you know, when you talk about just the uh, what the role that he's played this past year or the, this current year with the Chicago Bears. I know uh, Seth Walder with ESPN, he puts out almost weekly the uh, the, the double team rates from ESPN and like the uh, you know how often guys get home versus those the, the the win rates against those double team rates. And he's one of the highest in the league, if not the highest in the league right now. That's not going to be the case uh, just because of usage and because of the other personnel along this Eagles defensive line. Um, so you're going to see more opportunity uh, in less snaps I think for Robert Quinn to just really kind of get after the quarterback in one-on-one -on -one situations yeah yeah that's key I think the situation as with most evaluations you know is critical and understanding like really who a player is and like the stuff you just pointed out with double team rate um, I think that's you know good context and then also kind of the snaps probably lowering as well um, all of that's going to work you know, in conjunction with each other. And I think just put him in the best position that he can to be one of the most potent role-playing, you know, kind of defensive end edge rushers in the NFL now because he's going to a stacked defensive line and there's no pressure on him to play, you know, 68, 70% of snaps anymore either. Yep. So just a win-win across the board, I think, in terms of situation for him and Philly. It's, it's really a great situation.
Yeah, the Eagles play a few different fronts up front. I would imagine that right right off the bat, uh, we'll see him plenty in those uh, those even fronts when it's th- it's third and long. Those regular nickel packages with uh, with Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave inside, and whether it's you know Reddick or Sweat or BG opposite, uh, obviously mixing and matching with all those different personnel. Just the, the last question for you, Brandon. When you've got uh, all those guys up front with all those varying skill sets, now there were, I thought the one big example just because of the the volume of sacks against Washington in Week Three, I thought there was such a a handful of examples from that game of layered rushes where you had one guy getting upfield and what that did to impact the quarterback, push him up into the pocket where you've got that interior push. When you've got all those guys with those varying skill sets and you've got a sweat to, to, to uh, juxtapose with a Reddick and you've got a BG that you can now pair with a Robert Quinn with that interior push that you've got, what does that do for a defensive line to be able to say, all right, we can, we can win in a lot of different ways. We're going to attack every angle at the quarterback. Yeah, that's huge. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I talked about with uh, Chris Long in detail about, you know, his skill set really complemented Quinn's nicely, you know, because he was trying to run through the tackles inside shoulder, you know, kind of using more power oriented moves to his game. Um, and he's trying to get through the, that inside shoulder around like six yards. And then with Quinn, you know, going around the corner at eight and a half, nine yards, it just kind of creates that, that, you know, that restriction on the quarterback and it, it, it really works well off of each other. I think him and BG, you know, would be a great complement to each other. Um, you know, with BG's power and ability to go through the inside and those guys are the, you know, the top depth pieces on the defensive line in terms of on the edge. So sweat and Reddick and then Quinn and BG. And then of course you can mix and match that as well. And then Quinn's really good on games as well, just because, yep his ability to redirect and, and bend inside as well. So if you want to run TEs, um, he could bend, you know, and, and get by the guard and ETs, he could bend and get by the tackle. So there's a lot of different things that you could do with him, man. And um, I, I'm, I'm excited. This is already a really good defensive line. So it's just the rich get richer here, I think, in Philly. Well, make sure you're checking out Brandon's Substack, uh, Trench Warfare, outstanding subscription, uh, and you get outstanding content just like this, talking about NFL offensive line, defensive lines. Uh, Brandon, every single week, is going through every single sack in the NFL, and so you get uh, some of those grades. I know that Hassan Reddick uh, ranks really, really highly uh, you know, on that list right now, but make sure you go subscribe uh, to Brandon's work. You can check out his work on Twitter as well. He's been on the show a number of times. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three, and out. All right, let's get uh, the show rolling here with uh, Chris McPherson. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment there with James Bradbury as we welcome in C-Mac to go through our uh, first item here for three and out. I got to follow James Bradbury. That's, That's a it. tough deal here. So the way he's been shutting down the opposition this season. And we'll kind of touch on him a little bit later on in the segment. So first topic here is, quite honestly, coming off the bye week, how are the Eagles going to look? And what roles, I'm doing a little two for one here, what roles could we potentially see change here? Move forward. So you look at the Eagles-Steelers matchup, pretty much the Eagles should have the edge in every way, shape, and form. The one thing is the role of momentum. Eagles had a six-game winning streak. You have the bye week. All of a sudden, is there going to be a little bit of rust coming off? And could they fall into an early hole a la like they did the last time they played an AFC team, the Jacksonville Jaguars? Okay, could something along those lines happen? I'm going to throw some weird stats at you here, Fran. Okay, love some weird stats. 
since the 1970 merger, teams with rookie starting quarterbacks, okay, like Kenny Pickett and the Steelers here, are 3-12 and against teams that are 6-0 and or better. However, two of those three wins are by the Steelers. One of them, you go back to 2004, okay, the Eagles— the Eagles were 7-0. Yeah, right. First loss was to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep. So one of those wins there. Now, some good news here. The Eagles have not lost at home to the Steelers in the Super Bowl era. Now, it's very important that the Eagles get to 7-0 and here. Why? No team since 1990 has missed the playoffs starting 7-0. and So certainly another feather in the cap there. Now, looking at two... What did the Eagles do during the bye week? They did the self-scouting process, see if there are any tendency breakers they want to shift here. Yep. For me, I want to look at are certain guys going to have bigger roles? Okay. As you look down the line here, I'm looking at guys like Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave, Brandon Graham. Is there a way that the Eagles can minimize their snap counts to keep them fresher for the long haul? So is there a chance that we see more of guys like Marlon Tui-Pelotu, Milton Williams, you know, Teron Jackson, uh, player. Those are the players who come to mind. Like Trey Sermon, is there maybe a way to work him more into the offense here in the middle of the second half of the season? I'm just interested to see, are there going to be guys who maybe had more limited roles? Like the Eagles have not been able to get Quez Watkins untracked this season. Are there guys like that who maybe all of a sudden – they find ways to get them more open or get them more involved in the schemes. I think that that's, there's a, a two, like, two-pronged way to look at that too, right? Because not only are you trying to keep your starters and your, your key guys fresh, but you also want to put yourself in a position that if a key guy gets hurt – you kind of know what you have, and some of these guys are battle tested. You don't like want to Jack go Driscoll. in. Yeah, you you don't want to have to go into a you know a uh, second a divisional round playoff game, and uh, you know in week eighteen somebody got hurt, and now they're this is their first meaningful action of the year. So I, I think that Great. there's uh, there's a lot of ways you can look at that, and I think that it's, it is important. Now, what will be interesting though, and this is where like you always kind of block out the outside stuff. You know that uh, when you know when it comes to oh well, how come player X isn't playing more, and it's like well you have to factor in that the team is trying to make sure all these guys stay fresh, stay into it, and you're trying to get good looks at a lot of these young yeah. players for that reason. And maybe the guys just aren't showing what they need to in practice. Right. Okay? The teams use practice during the week to say, okay, can we trust this guy on game day? Unless we absolutely have to, that guy may not be ready for that role. So, you know, Trey Sermon's been here since early in the season. He got a couple carries in, in the one game where Boston Scott was injured earlier on. You know, is there a way to find some – you know, wiggle room to get those guys more involved. We'll see. I think that's one of the things that I'm intrigued by, you know, from a personnel grouping standpoint. Is there any more development there? We know what the Eagles did after going two and five to start off last season. How yep. they, I don't think you're seeing those kinds of overhauls. That's not needed. No, it's not needed. Yeah, not right. needed yep. here. But what are those little tweaks, those things that you're going to have to listen to this podcast or watch Eagles game plan heading into uh, future weeks to see those little things that the Eagles might have done? Love so. It. Number two here, okay, we kind of touched on this on the last podcast, the great conversation that you, myself, and Ben Fennell had about the 10 key stats here that have defined the Eagles season thus far. First stat that we that we didn't pick, we just did like the overarching theme was the, the turnover four, ratio. Yep. Turnover ratio, 14, 14 takeaways, two giveaways. Which is more sustainable for the mm. long haul? We touched on, on this. Yeah. We did touch on this yeah. a little bit here, okay? We definitely, we I think we're in agreement that the ability to protect the ball. More sustainable, yes. More sustainable for the long run. 
However, one thing I will say is looking at this Steelers offense, I think there's going to be opportunities to take the ball away. Okay, we talked about the fact they're starring a rookie quarterback in Kenny Pickett. You look at the run game, and the run game has severely struggled so far this season. Okay, even with first-round pick Najee Harris, they're 26 in yards per carry. 27th in yards per game, and their run DVOA by football outsiders ranks 30th, okay? They've not been able to get a run game going. They're putting it on Kenny Pickett. Go back to that 2004 game, the Ben Roethlisberger upset of the undefeated Eagles. They had Deuce Staley. They had Jerome Bass. They could protect Big Ben and limit what he had to do. Kenny Pickett is going to have to win this game likely with his arm. That's something that the Eagles are going to try to force here. But the Eagles have held opponents, getting to James Bradbury here, have held opponents to a league low 66 passer rating this season, okay? Pickett has played in four games. He's had three interceptions in two of those contests, yep. including Sunday night against Miami. Now, they have some talented options at pass catcher. We saw the Chase Claypool breakout game a couple years ago against the Eagles. George Pickens is a talented highlight reel receiver. Deontay Johnson's a good player. They have Fryermuth at tight end. They've got options there. Good collection, yep. But the run game is struggled, and they've got to use that to take some of the pressure off Kane Pickett. If the Eagles can shut down the run game, put everything on Pickett, it, things should bode well for the Eagles. And the thing what's interesting about a lot of those uh, those run game numbers, C-Mac, is that a lot of that even gets boosted by all of their jet sweeps, uh, where you know those guys get, you get a lot of free runs. They've, had, they've run more jet sweeps than anybody in the NFL. I made the point with Greg uh, earlier this week that when you remove those jet sweeps from the equation, which you can do uh, in pro football focus, you take those out – and the run game numbers go even further down. Steal my thunder once again. We had to do it. We had to do it here. It's a, uh, it's, I think that's a, a big thing is that they've really, really struggled to create movement up front. Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, they're facing a lot of contact at, before, or just beyond the line of scrimmage. And also those guys just aren't making enough yards for themselves uh, after contact as well. And so that has been a consistent theme with this offense through the first uh, seven weeks. All right, so last but not least, number yeah. three here. I'm kind of viewing this game very similar to that of the Cowboys game two weeks ago, is don't let the defense yep. beat you, okay? So the Steelers don't have, I would say, a Micah Parsons, a Tank Lawrence, or a Trayvon Diggs, no, but there's with, a lot of talent. Not with T.J. Watt out, yep. Not with T.J. Watt out, of course. But Cam Hayward. Outstanding. One of the league's best interior defenders this season. From He's a five-time Pro Bowl selection. If the Eagles offensive line allows Hayward to get going in this game, that's the one thing that could provide issues for the Eagles. Now, Alex Highsmith, okay, we saw him at the Shrine Bowl a couple of years ago. He's picked up some of the slack for T.J. Watt, but he, he has six and a half sacks this season, good for fourth in the league, okay? And they've got Devin Bush, and they got Miles Jack at the linebacker position, and then you go in the backfield, they have Cam Sutton is back from injury, which is a huge boost for them, and Minka Fitzpatrick is a do-it-all defensive back who's had an outstanding season, even though the Steelers overall have struggled. I love the coaching staff for the Steelers defense. You start with Mike Tomlin and his defensive background. They have Brian Flores, the former Dolphins head coach, has a special assistant. Terrell Austin is a coordinator. But you go back to look at the total numbers from the season. Go back to week one, their upset win over Joe Burrow and the Bengals. They had four interceptions in that game and seven sacks. They've only had five sacks yep. since week one. Since that one. point, yep. It's amazing. And then even last week, though, look, Miami got out to a quick lead. It was a 13-0 league, and it looked like that Tua Tungavailoa was just going to blow the doors off the Steelers, and it was going to be a rout. Well, you go to the second half numbers, okay? Miami had a deep drive, turned the ball over on downs deep in Steelers' territory on their first drive of the second half. 
Then after that, it was five straight punts, okay? And then and just two first downs during that during that span. So we've seen a little bit of this with the Eagles this season where they've raced out to these huge leads and teams have been able to cut things close. Can the Eagles make sure that the Steelers' defense doesn't keep them in the ball game on Sunday? And, and that's the thing is that you know when T.J. Watt was in there, you obviously you had the the teeth up front to pair with some of those playmaking uh, dimensions in the secondary. Um, but even without Watt, those guys can go out and make plays on the football. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that when you look at the secondary, even with the injuries, they have been really really good at contesting throws, making things difficult for receivers. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, his usage, you know they'll, they'll use him uh, playing deep. He'll play down over the tight end. He'll play Play down in space as an underneath zone defender, and he's just a really uh, instinctive, opportunistic uh, player in that he can pick off those throws underneath. He can play from depth uh, and play top down as a, as a center fielder and make those plays as well. So I think when you're looking at Jalen Hurts, obviously he's been so good at protecting the football, uh, really since he's been in the league. But I think at the end of the day, that's going to be a huge point of emphasis for this offense. Don't let that defense keep him in the game. They're going to do everything. They're going to throw different blitzes, some different stunts. They're middle of the pack uh, in both categories coming into this game. You made the point about the lack of sack production. It's the same thing with their picks. I mean, they've had nine picks so far uh, through seven weeks. Five of them came against the Bengals in week one. It's just a, that offensive onslaught or the defensive onslaught in that uh, that debut against the Bengals just hasn't been able to carry through since T.J. Watt has been out. But that said, they've got the personnel that they can turn it on at any given time. You just have to prevent that from happening. You know, it's very interesting because when you see coaches of this level, this magnitude that the Steelers have on the defensive side of the ball, I'm really intrigued to see how they game plan for Jalen Hurts, okay? Yep. And obviously, you know, they have a Lamar Jackson in in the AFC North. So, you know, obviously Hurts They're used is, to it, yeah. They're used to it to That's a good call. I haven't thought about that. So yep. I, I'm intrigued to see how they're going to treat Jalen Hurts because that's really the true litmus test of, like, what do we think of you as a player? What do we think of you as a quarterback? Let's see what they're going to bring. Obviously, teams have been – been more willing to blitz Jalen Hurst with some success. You mentioned what the blitz number is there. We'll see if that carries over here on Sunday. And a lot of the disguise elements uh, that go with that as well. They, they do a good good job of mixing things up uh, on the back end. We'll see, Mac. Uh, it'll be interesting, kind of breaking this one down. It'll good to get, get back into the swing of things. Eagles coming off the bye. Uh, it'll be fun to break down some more film here as we get into the weekend. C-Mac, thanks so much for joining us once again here for 3 and Out on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, good stuff there from C-Mac as we welcome in now Ben Fennel. And Ben, uh, let's get through this uh, Eagles-Steelers matchup. The Steelers a team that you've seen uh, a couple times here this year. I know you did that that week one game uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals. Different team, though, than that team in week one because we got a new quarterback, Kenny Pickett, uh, stepping in as the starter now. Only first-round quarterback in this past draft. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on what you've seen here from Kenny Pickett to uh, to start off his career. Yeah, I did the week one game in Cincinnati and then also week two against New England where they uh, won by three in overtime and then lost by three so it was really tough to kind of get a landscape on who they were those first two weeks mm. obviously it was the Mitch Trubisky show um, I think they overachieved just a little bit earlier in the season and they've kind of come back to reality and uh, shown who they really are but Kenny Pickett's in there now and he's shown some flashes as we expect these young uh, rookie quarterbacks and uh, we're going to get the full Matt Canada offense and the Najee Harris show and uh, everything the Steelers bring in 2022. Well, let's talk through the, the identity of this offense. What, what are the Eagles going to see from a defensive standpoint? What, what, is, what is it that makes this that, that Matt Canada offense? Yeah, Matt Canada leans a lot on motions and shifts pre-snap, a lot of jet motion, 
Uh, they're going to give those jet motions quite a bit as well, as Eagles fans remember uh, that Steelers team burning us a few years ago on that. But um, slightly different offensive structure nowadays, but jet motions are still featured. Yep. A lot of sprint outs, a lot of moving pockets, a lot of flood concepts, and then tons of shot plays down the sidelines, particularly down the rails with fades to George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I think the, the fades, the fade balls, I think you've just posted a stat uh, about that. And I think when you look at um, you know the, the, the willingness to pull the trigger downfield uh Kenny Pickett that is definitely something uh that shows up over and over and over again and um the one big thing I mean look when you get a rookie quarterback he's seeing things for the first time a stat that really stood out to me um was the uh, the most interceptions from a, from a percentage standpoint only because he's he's only started a handful of games but most interceptions against zone coverage uh than anybody in the NFL and so we kind of wanted to lean into that uh for this week's show and talking about uh the Eagles secondary and how they've been in their zone coverage concepts yeah and I think uh you know the one disclaimer with that Kenny Pickett willing to pull the trigger it's a function of the offense. This is how the offense is designed. It's that, not easy. That yeah, is right. the throw. Yep, right. So whether you're willing or not willing, that is the throw. That's it. So I'm not willing to say he's a great downfield passer or he's an aggressive passer. That is how the offense is designed to go. Yep. So that is the throw. Um, but turning it over to the Eagles secondary and um, their, you know, their zone coverage on the back end, they prefer to keep the ball in front of them. So I think you're going to see a lot of half field safeties, a lot of bailing corners on the outside with their eyes in the backfield that kind of cover for umbrella shell that Jonathan Gannon likes to deploy becomes very deep to throw uh, or excuse me, becomes very difficult to throw deep on this defense. Uh, they want to keep it in front. And I think it's going to be an interesting conflict of styles of a team that wants to push it downfield versus a team that protects pretty well down the field. Well, we heard from James Bradbury earlier in the show and him just talking about through his like process pre-snap and all the things that he's looking for. Uh, I think when you look at these uh, these pass catchers and how they're deployed, um, you know, you really kind of get some tips in, in terms of understanding, all right, down and distance, situation, formation, personnel, all the different factors that come into play. You really kind of get a bead on what this offense wants to try and do. And so uh, I'm fascinated, again, to see this matchup between their, their receivers going up against the, uh, the Eagles' DBs. And remember, that quarter's, that quarter's cover four scheme, after about seven, eight yards, they're pretty much man-to-man on the outside. Yep. And the way this Steelers' defense – or excuse me, the Steelers' offense is designed – they're throwing those shot plays no matter what. Yep. And we have all seen George Pickens has the ability to catch them even if he's not open. So it's not a read where you're seeing single high and Pickens has a step on the corner. No, I'm throwing the fade pre-snap, and he's going to give his guys a chance. That's how the offense is designed, and that really puts a lot of the players in positions to win as George Pickens is an alpha at the catch point. Guys like Chase Claypool have great size. They'll work in some big box fades, which are essentially fades from the slot position, but it's giving those big receivers opportunities to make plays on the football, whether they're open or not really is uh, irrelevant whether they're going to come down with it. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier. That those are kind of low percentage situations, which you can't, you can't just say like, oh, man, well, Kenny Pickett loves to pull the trigger on those situations. No, like this, this is, that's the structure of the offense. That is a, a, that is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, we'll hear uh, more on that in the, the stats section in a couple yeah, minutes. Here. Very, very nice. All right, I like it. Well, let's, get, let's flip over uh, to the next block there where we got into the Eagles run game going up against that run defense. That is definitely a strength uh, of that group, obviously led by Cam Hayward up front. Yeah, third best explosive run rate allowed. 
allowed. So that's 10-yard runs, pretty stingy. They don't allow many, only 17 through seven games so far, or excuse me, six games, which is a pretty low rate. They're really tough front. Uh, the linebackers are good in their run fits. They like to fly those safeties downhill, whether it's Tremaine, or excuse me, Terrell Edmonds or Minka Fitzpatrick, both great run fill safeties. Cam Hayward, I absolutely love, one of the most underrated uh, pound for pound best players in the NFL. Get some help from free agent addition Larry Ogunjobi, mm, yep. a nice player there. But they're just getting beat up. You know, losing TJ Watt, you're not going to be a better team, you know, with him off the field. So it's unfortunate that he's gone through some aches and pains. And DeMarvin Leal, rookie Texas yeah. AM, you know, through and through Steelers type of player that can play multiple spots on that versatile D line, had to carry some different hats through the season. Just lost him on the IR. So they're getting banged up in the trickle effect. Guy like Alex Highsmith, really nice young player, really productive. And he's really stepped up well in the wake of TJ Watt. He has the most defensive line snaps played in the NFL. That's wow. edge rushers, D tackles, outside linebackers. You're on oh. the defensive line. He's up to 434. So it's just a matter of, are you wearing them down too much? So we need guys like Malik Reed, who they traded for it yep. before the season, uh, and some other guys, maybe some young guys called up this week that they have to contribute. Yeah. This is the fun kind of roster dissection that you go through on a week-to-week -week basis, particularly in the middle of the season when you have injuries and guys are banged up and you're calling guys up to the practice squad. What is the trickle effect? A guy like Alex Highsmith, good player, taking on a big load. It's a perfect compliment to one of the things, the C-Mac's first point in the last segment about the ways we could see the Eagles kind of expand their usage of some of their young players in the bottom of the roster to try and get them more reps, save some of the other guys, some of the starters, uh, some of that wear and tear as well over the course of the season. Uh, that's a, a big theme. And I love that. In the middle of the season, I love the opportunity it gives some young players, whether you're a rookie, a journeyman, an undrafted, you've been hanging on the practice squad. I love the opportunity opportunity in those windows that's opportunities for guys to show up too so don't sleep on players and names and numbers you might not have heard of it's a big opportunity for players. Uh, and one guy that we also want to make sure we hit on, just the, the factor uh, that is Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, he had, uh, he's had a couple picks so far this year. He had that pick six uh, in that yep. week one game. Mm -hmm. uh, just to talk about the, the impact that he can have on a game. Yeah, he flashed in week one, opening drive against Joe Burrow, pick six. Really a defensive player of the year type performance. Remember, he blocked the PAT to send the game into overtime. The Bengals could have won that game despite five turnovers and nine yep. sacks. Uh, but Minka, all over the field, incredibly athletic and gives them a lot of flexibility with his athleticism yep they play a lot of cover two a lot of two deep doesn't always look that way pre-snap i think a lot of that is credit to minka fitzpatrick's ability to get to certain landmarks disguising it he's incredibly fluid incredibly athletic and an absolute ball hawk on the back end so he gives them some flexibility and he'll stick his nose in there, too, in the run yeah. and maybe stick his nose in on some underneath passes like we saw on Monday Night Football against uh, Mostert, that right? Mostert there. Yeah. Absolutely put a lick on him and upended him on a little angle route. So Minka is the alpha of that defense. Cam Hayward right behind him. Hopefully they get T.J. Watt back soon enough. But that three-headed monster, that is what keeps this Steelers team ticking. No question. It's uh, I think when you look at him, he can be a deciding factor in the game just because of the, the, the high-leverage plays uh, that he can create. Let's take a look now at some of the stats. Obviously, we've gone through a bunch of them. You alluded to uh, some of them earlier. Give me one that stands out most to you. I, I'm sure you probably have a couple, though. Yeah, well, harping on this Matt Canada shot play type of offense and, you know, the trickle effect of that. George Pickens has run the most go routes this season, 102 total. 
And that then uh, has related into receptions, tied for the most go-route receptions with Jamar Chase. So they're mm. going to take shots. He's going to come down with the football uh, you know, every other time, as we call those 50-50 plays. But Deontay Johnson has run the fourth most go-route. Yep. So it is a fixture of the offense. It's how it's designed. And how are they taking those shots down the field? 39 attempts over 20-plus air yards, second most. Yep. This ball is coming out, and it's going down the field. And only five of those, Fran? Five of 39 are off play action. So this isn't wow. a run, 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 Man, let's take crazy. our shots type of team. No, this wow. ball is coming out on time. A lot of those throws right around three seconds. Right. So it's a normal drop in rhythm, hold the safety, and let that thing rip. Yep. This thing's coming out quick. So, you know, Bradbury, Slay, make sure those hammies are stretched out uh, for Sunday out there because you're going to be turning and running and, uh, you know, covering quite a bit of distance out on the perimeter. And remember, taking a lot of those shots, they have 14 completions down the field. Yep. However, no touchdowns, mm. five interceptions. So they're going to live and die by this. So, you know, it could be a game that George Pickens hauls, hauls five of them for 150 and three touchdowns. Or is it the he only has one for thirty and nothing? You know, you want to limit that type of uh, damage on the outside. And that's what that's the thing is that you know that gets lost when you look at it from a statistical standpoint. Sometimes it's because to your point, like it's second most by volume, it's sixth most uh, deep ball Third percentage. Most completions, yeah, so they like, are you know generating the completions off of that high volume. Yep. But is it making the impact the Steelers really want? Not particularly. Not, not all deep routes and not all deep balls are, the, are created equal, right? Like, it, there's one thing where it's like these ISO fades where a guy lines up on the numbers on the right side and he's just going to run a fade down the right sideline versus uh, what we've seen, like, in Kansas City oh, since Andy Reid has been there where, you know, the, with Alex Smith, they're leading the league in deep shots and it's highly schemed up three-man route concepts, all those different flood schemes and those pin uh, those pin mills concepts where, yeah, it's a post with a dig and, uh, you know, the, the cro- post cross. Like, no, you don't – these, these routes don't, like, complement off each other. It is literally, like – Almost all the time, when there's a straight dropback pass, it is all right. Deontay Johnson, you're on the on the left. George Pickens, you're on the right. You guys are both running vertical routes. It might be like a blaze out or a, a fade, or maybe it's a post. Mm-hmm. But go win. There's nothing else. You go win, and we'll figure out the rest from there. And, and fans and those listening at home, these are called rhythm throws. Yep. Where you're making a pre-snap declaration, a pre-snap decision and then throwing within rhythm, as opposed to a progression throw or a leverage throw where you're reading a defender or going from one to two to three yep. and making a reaction off of what the defense does. He has his decision made pre-snap, and you're throwing it one, two, three, or one, two, three, four, five, and getting the ball out regardless of what the defense is doing. There's a lot of pros and cons to that, but yes. how they're doing that, a little bit different than most of the league. Typically, high-volume shot play offenses – it's coming off a of play action. Yep. You know, they're deliberate kind of concepts off a of run action. And that means the time to throw is much more in the four and five second range because there are longer developing plays. Pittsburgh's time to throw on these is right around three seconds, which is wild. Um, it's very much like a Tom Brady. I was, I, dude, I'm so glad. I was just going to make in this that comparison. he's aggressive yes. and pushing it downfield, but the ball's coming out quickly. Yes. So very interesting approach for Jonathan Gannon saying, you know, it, the ball's coming out and it's going down the field. Are we going to be able to get blitzers home? Are we going to be able to get our rush home? We might have to allocate more resources to the back end. Yep. So maybe some more three-man rushes, drop eight, roll some extra coverage over the top, and really prevent those downfield shots. Yeah, and that's I'm so glad. I was literally going to make that comparison next. Is that we're not? It's not necessarily saying like, oh, the the way that they're playing is terrible. It's just that. 
that's a, a tough needle to thread for a young quarterback. We, we've seen you know, the Bruce Arian offenses. They do it a little bit differently. They go mm-hmm. about things a little bit differently. But uh, the, the ball comes out vertically in rhythm. But that's why, like, Bruce Arians in those schemes – has always had success with veteran quarterbacks, you know, the Carson Palmers uh, and the uh, the Big Bens and the Tom Brady's of the world. Um, for a young quarterback to, to make those reads early and say, like, okay, we're going to define the throw and go, that's, that can be difficult at and times. And you hear that right now? That's the people already, you know, churning up the comments and the tweets saying, whoa, 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 Kenny Pickett, Tom Brady, slow down. Right. Not comparing the two, just more the style in which the ball comes out when they take those what shot plays. Yep. Although Kenny Pickett did beat Tom Brady two weeks ago, so potentially anointed the new king. I, I love that. Well, um, <laughs> also, I mean, we, you mentioned it, uh, the the first in jet sweeps. You know, that, that's a, that's yep. another stat that kind of stood out to me as well. It's just that this is a team that is willing. And it's not uh, just Chase Claypool. You know, it's it's everybody. Everybody gets the ball in these jet sweeps. It's something you have to be aware of. And one extra nugget in here, defensively, let me throw one in, the leader in double coverage. So they are a team that's willing to erase your number one receiver. You saw it week one against Jamar Chase quite a bit. Saw it two weeks ago against Mike Evans. Very quiet game. Why was that? Tons of bracket coverage. Who they want to allocate those resources to to this Eagles team? Good not really, Not really sure. Yep. Is it A.J. Brown? Is it Devontae Smith? Is it Jalen Hurts in the run game? We'll see. But they definitely want to make teams, as we say, tie one hand behind their back. Yep, I know. They lay, they led the NFL in, like, cover one double, where it's like a, a yep. single high safety, and now we're going to take two defenders and put them man-to-man, a true double team. Um, I forget where they're at with, from a bracket standpoint, but – I think you kind of separate those two, right? So if it's one double, obviously you get away from that. Whoever's being doubled, you get away from that guy, right? But if it is a true bracket, what are the ways schematically that the Eagles can try and combat that? What are some things that teams can do? Well, running the football is certainly one thing. (laughs) But, um, you know, how to avoid those double coverage in brackets, you can do formationally by putting guys in motion, Mm -hmm. bunches, stacks, prevent the the pre-snap kind of identification of who to double. Yep. But collectively in the routes, there's ways to beat double coverage. Bracket coverage is, as in we're describing, in and out coverage where you have somebody on the inside and the outside. Best way to beat bracket coverage, run right through it, sit down in front of it. I love those concepts. If you have high-low coverage, another way to double. Somebody underneath, somebody over the top, kind of do the motion with your hands. You have somebody under the receiver, over the receiver, best way to beat it. Left and right, lateral routes, crossing routes, horizontal pass games. So there's vulnerabilities to every defensive coverage and scheme. Always remember that. If any scheme was perfect, let's just go play it every play. Yep. But that doesn't exist. There's pros and cons to everything, even double, even double coverage. The best visual I can present for our audio listeners is that uh, it's like you're playing Pac-Man and you have all the ghosts chasing after you know after Pac-Man. If there's a ghost on top of you and a ghost that's chasing you from below, you're, you're running right and left. And if it's if they're coming at you from side to side, you're going up and down. You're running away from the ghost. It's the same idea uh, when you're trying to beat those double-covered defenders. Uh, you're trying to try and basically split it. You're, if you're figuring out which, where's your escape patch, that's the way uh, to attack those kind of coverage schemes. Uh, ben, matchups that matter. Uh, we're going to dive into this a little bit with Matt in the next segment, but uh, what's one one-on-one battle that you're excited to, that could uh, determine the outcome of this game? Well, like we had talked about, the three-headed monster of the Steelers has really only been a two-headed monster with Minka and Cam. Don't let those two ruin the game. Yep. They can flip the game and change the game. Really want to see Cam Hayward up against Big Land and Dickerson. That's yep. a gladiator battle out there, uh, so I'm really excited to see that. And a scheme battle, 
want to see the RPO game of our offense, the Eagles offense, against those Steelers linebackers. Mm. So I think there's some eye candy, some eye violations they've had uh, through the early part of the season. Miles Jack, Devin Bush, Robert Spillane, really tough scheme here in Philadelphia to handle. A lot of zone reads, a lot of eye candy, motion, misdirection, quarterback runs. I think that's going to be an interesting chess match. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go into the trenches, and I think that, look, this uh – to your point about the ball coming out so fast, this this offensive line, when you look at it on paper, it's not going to wow you. It's not going to blow you away. It might be one of the more unimpressive like tackle combos uh, in football, but it's not like that has hurt them from a like pressure percentage standpoint, sack percentage standpoint. Like uh, because the ball comes out so fast, so often, that's not it doesn't hurt them too bad. But what if the Eagles are able to get into third and long and force the ball to, to be held a little bit, or if you're able to mix up your zone coverages? I think that's where some of these matchups can come into play in the Eagles' favor. And whether that's Hassan Reddick going up against Chakuma Okorafor at right tackle, uh, who. Often, very, very often with me, when I watch a core four, he gets stuck in that tight base. He's working so hard to get to his spot in pass pro, and that's exactly what, if you reflect back on Reddick's big game against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the rain, he was able to get Jawan Taylor so worried about his speed, but by the time he got there, his base, his feet were so close together, that's where the power element comes into play for Reddick, and he's able to push the pocket. That's something I think could be open there with a core four, and then you look at Dan Moore, the left tackle, going up against Josh Sweat. I think those two uh, matchups can be favorable, favorable for the Eagles, but again, that's going to require Kenny Pickett to have to hold on to the football, so something to watch there. Yeah, absolutely. I think any times you could kind of move the picture post-snap with these young quarterbacks, too. I go back to that uh, Trevor Simeon game against the Saints last year. Yep. A lot of post-snap rotation, some really cool disguises. hope Jonathan Gannon gets a little deep in his bag this mm. week, coming off the bye week. Yeah, it's your point. I think that it might be more from like the coverage standpoint than the pressure standpoint, yep. which <clears throat> can be tough to see on the broadcast. It is yep. the A crew for CBS, uh, a CBS game for mm-hmm. the Eagles here this week. But Tony uh, Romo, Jim Nance yeah. will, will be all over it. Uh, I'm excited to see uh, what those uh, what those replays look like so we can get some of that instant analysis uh, <laughs> from that game. Well, Ben, uh, really good stuff. We'll be back next week talking through this battle uh, between the Eagles and Steelers right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in full focus. Well, joining us here for Faux Focus this week, my friend Matt Williamson. You can follow him on Twitter at WilliamsonNFL. Does outstanding work covering the Pittsburgh Steelers and the entire NFL over with Steelers Nation Radio on the west side of the state. Matt, welcome to the show, man. It's great to be here, bud. How are you? Doing great. I'm excited for this matchup. I feel like Eagles-Steelers, obviously they don't play often, but a lot of like memorable games, especially from like an Eagles standpoint, I can think back to a lot of really uh, fun games uh, and that go both ways, right? They end the uh, Eagles' undefeated season in 2004. Uh, you know, some great ones. I remember the nine-sack performance in 2008 with Brian Dawkins going through the air and knocking the ball out of Big Ben's hands. Uh, there's some great battles between these two teams. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some interesting trends, too. Like, my my buddy that I do my Steelers show with, Dale Lawley, has covered the team for like 30 years. You met him at the Combine, great sure. dude. And he's been to your place many, many times. And he's like, I've never seen a Steeler win on that side of the state. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. And we and like look at the schedule before the season started, not knowing where these teams would be. It's like, oh, that's a loss. And, and then you go back to like <laughs> World War II and the Steagles, you know, right. were created for a little while too. So Pretty crazy history going back all the way to the you know, World War II times. No doubt, it's a it's a fun rivalry. Uh, again, it doesn't get to be played too often, but should be a fun one here at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday at one o'clock. And uh, to get I us ready for, for that, I'm going to ask you to kind of. <laughs> 
I think it'll be fun for your side. <laughs> well, we'll see. Hopefully that trend, uh, hopefully that trend can continue. Uh, but I will ask you now to kick this off um, to put on your Matt Canada hat. You're the you're the Eagles are the the Steelers' uh, offensive coordinator going into this game. What's your biggest strength? What are you counting on most going into this game on offense? What gives you the most confidence to win this game? Oh, the Matt Canada hat would be on crooked and falling off, and <laughs> I am not a believer at all. And I don't claim to be an X's and O's guru. I've never coached. I've never called plays except for my son's six-year-old flag football team. But the tape heads will tell you that this is about as remedial of a scheme. And that was true with Ben. So it's not just a rookie quarterback thing in terms of route concepts, predictability, tells, things like that. Um, And I don't really know, to be honest with you. I, I mean, if you look at the numbers, and I sent you this crazy stat packet that I do every week for Steelers.com. It looks as though, but that doesn't really pass the sniff test that you can run on the Eagles. You know, they're giving up five yards a carry. But I don't know how the Steelers' interior O-line moves Jordan Davis and Cox and former Steeler Hargrave. And um, I just think teams aren't running very much against the Eagles, and therefore some of the numbers are skewed. And the Steelers aren't running on anyone. Najee's starting to look a little bit better. But I really, going back to Canada, feel like people know when this team's going to run and really key on it. Um, I don't have a great matchup for the Steelers. I wish I did. Friermuth has been phenomenal. Pickens has been phenomenal. I, I think the weapons overall have a bright future, as does Pickett. But I don't see a spot on the Eagles defense that's glaring, you know, spot to attack at all. When you look at the the struggles in the run game, we talked about it earlier in the show and earlier uh, this week with Greg, where it's like uh, they're in the the bottom three in the NFL, both in like yards uh, yards before contact per attempt and yards after contact per attempt. Yeah. So I mean, really on both ends of the candle, they're 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 struggling to get going. Uh, what do you see as like the biggest reason why that run game with Najee Harris has really struggled to get going here in 2022? Well, I mean, I'm sure I haven't listened to your podcast, and I will with, with Greg. And But I've had this conversation with Greg in person at the Combine, and he's 100% right that Najee is not an explosive back. I mean, he's never going to get big chunk runs. And I do think he has been dealing with this Liz Frank thing since the beginning yeah. of training camp. The last two week, weeks, he's actually looked like last year's Najee Harris as opposed to hobbled Najee Harris. Um, the offensive line is an obvious culprit, but they get too much heat in this, in this scenario for me. I mean, it's not a a grant. It's not the Eagles line where everyone knows the guys and it's the top of the league, but people look at the Steelers line and think, boy, that's terrible. That's one of the worst lines in the league. It really isn't. I mean, they've been better in protection than the run game, but they've basically been mediocre. Um, and they seem to get a little better each week. Um, in terms of the run game, though, I do think it's very predictable. I think the ball carriers are pretty pedestrian, although this Jalen Warren kid's kind of exciting. The blocking's average at best, and they don't set things up well. I mean, I, I don't want to blame Canada entirely for this, but I really think he's to blame for the offensive woes more than anybody. And, Fran, to be honest with you, I mean, this is an extremely young offense. I mean, yep. Deontay Johnson's like the oldest guy on the on the offense that plays meaningful snaps. And that's by design. You know, they played a lot of rookies last year. Friar, Muth, Harris, you know, Moore, the left tackle. And now they've inserted a, a rookie receiver and quarterback. I mean, they're building for another day. They would never admit it. 
when you look at, at Pickett, what is the general feel uh, about the start to his career? Very optimistic. I mean, he immediately passes the sniff test of does he belong or not? You know, he is a quick processor. I know Greg's really high on him as well. I, I don't remember what your grades were coming out of school, but he does not. My big worry about with him at Pitt was he held the ball forever. Yeah, He's getting it out of his hands very quickly. He's decisive. He's accurate. Um, his TD to interception numbers are abysmal. But if you look at the nine picks he's thrown, one was a Hail Mary. Yep, right. One was Chase Claypool falling down, getting tripped up. And if you look at like pro football focus, he doesn't have any other turnover worthy plays that, you know, teams dropped. So he's had bad luck and really has had seven bad throws in three games, which is mm. too many. Don't get me wrong. Um, struggles in the red zone a little bit as rookies do. But I'm pretty certain that he is at a minimum going to be a good starting quarterback. Yeah, he's been about as I expected coming in. I thought he had the makings uh, of an NFL starter. And so far, uh, nothing that I've seen uh, makes me think that he won't be anything but yeah. that. Um, let's go to the other side of the football. I ask you to put on your Terrell Austin hat as the Steelers defensive coordinator. What's the biggest strength going into this game on defense? What gives you confidence to win this football game? Yeah, that hat I like wearing. I mean, I've been very <laughs> impressed with this defensive staff. They're the last couple of weeks in particular. I mean, they even confused Brady from time to time. Um, they've been very good at passing off Tyreek Hill and Waddle and those guys last week, tackling the catch, varying their coverages, you know, a variety of blitzes, a variety of personnel packages. And really, they're swimming upstream without TJ Watt. I, I mean, it, it's been the, the numbers with and without Watt in the lineup are night and day. And it's not just a sack thing. It's, you know, yards per play. It's points per play. You know, it's a ripple effect of everyone else just getting more single blocks. Um, the one thing I would do, and, and I, I, I sent this to you. I don't know if you've looked at it yet or if you're aware, you probably yeah. are. But teams are blitzing Hurts much more lately. And it seems like he's struggling. The numbers indicate that he's absolutely struggling with it compared to non-blitz. So, I mean, the Steelers aren't getting any pressure. So, I think I would say the heck with it. If we get beat over the top, so be it. We're big underdogs anyways. Let's throw the house at the, the young quarterback. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just how they approach it. The, the Steelers have been kind of middle of the road in terms of uh, blitz percentage, st stunt percentage over the yeah. course of the season. But uh, I think especially once you get to third down, it, it, I think we'll probably see those blitz numbers spike here uh, for this team against the Eagles. Um, overall now, if you're Mike Tomlin, what's the, the biggest concern going for this team or for this team going into this game? I, I just don't see a lot of weaknesses with the opponent. You know, this, the same thing was true whenever I previewed Steelers' bills. At least in that scenario, there were injuries. It, it, you could look at it with Buffalo, and still the Bills blew their doors off. Um, you know, your team is going to be extremely well-rested. We know the Steelers struggle on that side of the state. Um, you know, the Steelers on the road haven't been great. They're young and trying to find themselves, where I think the Eagles are a big-time Super Bowl contender. So, <laughs> to be honest, when Pickett took over as the starting quarterback, the Steelers had a ridiculous gauntlet of the Bills, Bucks, which looked harder than it was, in Miami, and then this game, and then a bye next week. And I kind of told everyone out there, this, for, this first month of Kenny Pickett's life is going to be awful. Just get used to it. It's tough love. You know, I mean, you can, you can teach children by being stern or by hugging them or both. And this is 
the tough love part of it all. Get to the bye, and hopefully at that point you had three wins or so. They're not going to probably get that. And the second half of the season looks very encouraging and build on that for the future. But I, I just think you take your lumps. I mean, it, I know this isn't how Tomlin thinks or football coaches thinks, but I think you take your lumps for this first month of picket, topped off with a blowout win in Philadelphia for the Eagles, get to the bye, lick your wounds, and say, okay, that's what NFL football is all about. So when you do look at the outcome or the, the scope of this game going in, is there a matchup that you say, like, all right, like this would be pivotal to like swing the tide in Pittsburgh's favor? Is there a one-on-one -one battle that you feel like could be most important going into this game? I always have them, but I don't in this game. Like, I sent you this document, and at the bottom are two matchups, and I, I don't feel strong about either one. Yep. Um, you know, the obvious thing you could say is, you know, win the turnover battle. But your Eagles are just destroying the rest of the league in turnover differential. You know, like what's the chances that comes back to roost, especially with a rookie quarterback that's throwing too many picks. The Steelers do get their hands on footballs a lot. Minka's a dangerous guy. I mean, I think I want Hurts to beat me through the air, but he's proving time and time again that he can. I mean, the small weaknesses I see are possibly run defense for the Eagles, ability to handle the blitz. They're not great on special teams. I mean, that has not been a super great strength for Philly. Maybe you can block a punt or something along those lines. But these are desperation things. You'd wish you'd just say, well, your left tackle is going to destroy their defensive end and we're going to run behind them all day. Well, I don't see any of those individual matchups that's screaming Steelers. Yeah, well, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to watch it. I think that you're to your point. You're definitely trying to avoid uh, losing this game with some of those uh, you know plays that can swing it, right? The, the special teams yeah. gaffes or to the turnovers. Jalen Hurts has been so good at protecting the football over the course of this season and really over the course of his career. You just need that to continue here uh, against what can be a very opportunistic defense with Micah Fitzpatrick and that entire group mm -hmm. uh, on that back end. Well, Matt, uh, this has been awesome, man. Really One appreciate you note, taking just a, so it's not all doom and gloom for my Steelers. They've probably faced either the toughest or second toughest schedule to this point. Yep. And there's about three or four of those games, New England, Cleveland, no, I mean not Cleveland, Miami, that one bounce either way, they would have gotten a win, and they got no luck in that regard. So mm. I know they're only a two-win team. They're not a good football team. They're not going to the playoffs this year. But they've been a little unlucky, too. Yeah, and you know, you know, Mike Tomlin, he's going to get his guys ready defensively, uh, a really well-coached team, and again, going to be very, very opportunistic on that side of the football. Matt, yeah. dude, thanks so much again, once again, for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for Faux Focus, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, bud. So great stuff there from Matt Williamson. Always great to catch up with Matt. He does an outstanding job covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, uh, we heard from James Bradbury earlier in the show. That's a segment that's going to air this week on Eagles Game Plan. How about a little bit more from our Eagles Game Plan crew? There's some of the uh, analysis that was left on the cutting room floor. Great stuff here from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. Hey, due to time constraints, couldn't squeeze it all into the show, but I kept it all right here for you. And those of you who follow what I say know that I really like Pickett coming out of the University of Pittsburgh. Throws a nice ball. He's tough. He understands. There's detail and nuance to his game. You can see the poise and composure just when you watch him play. Now, I want to go to another play. We go back to last week when they played the Miami Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. Now, this was a game in which the Steelers lost, and they were down by a touchdown in the second half. 
Now, when you get late in a game, and this is the fourth quarter, and the plays we're showing you, by the way, are third and fourth down plays. So these are money down plays. In fact, this play was fourth down. You have to turn it loose. You have to be willing to make tough throws into tight windows against both zone and man coverage. And this throw came against what we call two-man coverage, man-to-man underneath with two deep safeties. This one, he had to stick in a very tight window to Pat Fryermuth again. And the defender could undercut the route because it was two-man coverage. There was help over the top. Another big-time NFL throw by Pickett. Again, a firm touch throw. Doesn't have to throw an absolute strike, but needs some velocity and firmness to this throw. Now, not only is Pickett a rookie that's making an impact with the Steelers, But there's another rookie, and that's George Pickens, the wide receiver from Georgia. Again, Pickens, to me, was the best receiving prospect in this draft class. That's what his tape from the University of Georgia told me as I projected him to the league. And I think we're seeing glimpses of that. And I think the connection between Pickett and Pickens will only get better as we move forward. And the one thing about Pickens is he can make tough, contested sideline catches. Pickens is an outstanding receiver. He caught an unbelievable touchdown against the Dolphins on Sunday night, which, by the way, was an outstanding throw by Pickett as well. It was the only place he could put it for Pickens to make that catch. So there's two rookies here. There's Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, and there's George Pickens, the wide receiver. Their challenge is for the Eagles' defense. Pickett with his poise, his composure, his awareness— And Pickens, he's just a physical specimen. 6'3", he can run, he can go get the football, he can make tough contested catches, and he can run after catch. Both players will be challenges for the Eagles' defense. Yeah, and Chase Claypool came out and said he'd like some more shots down the field, throw it to the receivers down the field. The one thing maybe you have to watch out for, like two years ago in Pittsburgh, those jet sweeps, huh? Well, they run jet sweeps more than anyone else. They don't have much of a running game, so they rely on the jet sweeps, and you'll see... Any of those three wide receivers, you'll see them on the jet sweep motion. They were good at it a couple of years ago, and you have to expect that in this game. We don't need to see number 11. Remember that from his rookie year when they ran those jet sweeps out there in Pittsburgh. Claypool was pretty good at it. Deontay Johnson's pretty good at it. Now, not only is the secondary and Fitzpatrick playing pretty well, but they also have a player in Alex Highsmith. Since T.J. Watt is out, Highsmith has become a really effective pass rusher. Not only can he win one-on-one, but they scheme concepts so that he can attack the quarterback. So this is a defense that's actually playing pretty well. And they have a great player in Fitzpatrick. Their D-line is playing effective football. And Minka Fitzpatrick can be an impact game changer. How about that zone-heavy scheme that the Pittsburgh Steelers run? Somebody's going to be open over the middle, right? Yeah, probably 88 <laughs> for, for the Eagles, Dallas Goddard. And this is a great game, I think, to take advantage of Goddard's size yes. and his ability to run after the catch. You know, Eagles, one of the best teams, you know, the best team in the league in yards after the catch. That's, be, that's because we have strong runners when they get the football in their hands. Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, we know is one of the best to do it. So, yeah, working that middle of the field, getting Goddard the ball, I think that'll be advantageous. 
And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, Sunday, NBC 10, special time 7 a.m. here this Sunday, again on NBC 10. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to all of them. And thank you to you as well for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. Eagles fans, the midterm election is right around the corner. Now is the time to create your game plan to vote on November 8th. Text EAGLES to 26797 to register to vote and check your voter registration status. This year, voters will have the chance to elect officials to the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and many local and state positions. You can vote in person, by mail, or at a secure ballot drop box. If you are registered to vote in Philadelphia County, you can drop off your ballot at Lincoln Financial Field on Friday, October 28th, or on Sunday, November 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Our democracy is only as strong as our commitment to participate in it. Go birds and go vote.